couple quick uh, housekeeping things. Um, <laughs> you can be like the Eastern Orthodox, and you can stand for the whole time if you want, um, or you can just find a seat wherever you can and park it. We're going to be spending some time in God's Word, and it's not going to be like 10 minutes, so just warning you, um, just to give you a heads up. Uh, also, wow, it is so great to see all of you here. It's a bit of a surprise, as many uh, that are here this morning, but I just want you to know from us, we're really excited you're here. We don't see this as, you know, an inconvenience. We see this as a celebration for you to be with us here this morning to celebrate what God is doing here in Kansas City and your willingness to come and invest in what God is doing in Kansas City. So here from me, uh, thank you. And if you're wondering who is this guy who just said here from me, uh, my name is Gabe Coyle and I'm the campus pastor here at Christ Communities Downtown Campus. Um, yeah, and it's been my joy. Uh, my wife and daughter are up there, which has now become our balcony for a few for today. Um, somewhere up there in the back, um, around there. Um, there she is, waving. Okay. Um, so we're really glad you're here and just so thankful. Once again, if you have an empty seat, don't hesitate to flag someone down to come and have a seat in it. We'd hate to waste a chair. We've got one right over here. So if there's a brave soul and one in the back. So we've got two chairs and about 50 of you who don't have a chair. So one of you is a brave soul. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Well, good morning to you. I, was, I wanted to start us off with a question this morning, and I think I'm in the right crowd to ask this question. How many of you have ever heard of the show Breaking Bad? Anyone? Oh, yeah. Come on. All right. Yeah. Yeah, you know the show. Now, obviously, the show isn't for everyone, right? Um, and it's not exactly family-friendly, but what I will say is when you purview a lot of the other shows that are out there, I think, I think it has some of the best theology, now, we don't have a lot to work with, so that's not saying a whole lot, but when you do look at this show, there's one thing that it does really, really well. It's not a show about Jesus, not a show about the Bible. It doesn't give us the whole picture, but it paints a picture of evil, and it paints a picture of evil so grotesque that even the kindest, nicest, sweetest people become monsters, right? And actually, if you look at the underlying story and the theme oops, of, the, of Breaking Bad, then you find that there is this underlying theme of longing for justice that lives deep within each and every one of us. I actually read an interview of the creator of the show, Vince Gilligan, and uh, he, he was a raised Catholic and is now an agnostic, so he doesn't know what he believes is how that, what that means. And he describes the show as an attempt to take a really likable family man, um, the most likable family man, Walt, and turn him slowly into a monster to show us that even the nicest of people with the brightest of smiles and the skinniest of jeans, underneath all of that, can easily become the villain of their own story. And it was kind of shocking as I was reading what he was talking about in his interview. He says, and it's up on the screen, I can stand the thought that there's no heaven, but I don't know that I can stand the thought that there's no hell. Because you know, where's Hitler from then? Or where's Hitler then? There's got to be some kind of payback. I'm not saying there is. But we tend to believe there is. I've got to believe that the wheel turns for everybody who does, you know, truly horrible deeds. I've got to believe in some cosmic wheel of justice. And we're going to show a clip in just a second that captures that angst probably the best. Um, if you don't know the premise of Breaking Bad, it's about a high school chemistry teacher who finds out he has cancer. And to provide for his family after he's gone, he picks up this hobby of cooking meth. And uh, yeah, great show, right? Um, so 
but, but the more he's in it, the more he falls into it. Power, greed, and control slowly come to enslave him to the point that he and his former student, Jesse Pinkman, they build this evil meth empire. You know, in the scene we're about to watch, uh, Jesse, he's attending a Narcotics Anonymous support group, and he's trying to cryptically confess his sins. But when the group tells him, just accept yourself, Jesse, then he, well, let's just watch. Jesse, he raises a really good question. Um, If you just do stuff and nothing happens, what's it all mean? I mean, does it really matter as a way of asking that a different way? But in our culture, we're told there isn't really a universal right or wrong. I mean, we can't even bring up the idea of sin without ironically actually being scolded for missing the mark on acceptable thought. I mean, I've had plenty of conversations where people will say, sin, question mark? Welcome to the modern era. Just accept yourself. It's not that bad, Gabe. Come on. But no matter where you find yourself this morning... Whenever we hear that, like Jesse Pinkman, we really know better, don't we? Something deep within us always aches with the idea that we were not meant to live like this. You know that feeling. I know it. When I'm a jerk to my wife or when my daughter is screaming in the middle of the night and I get frustrated because I can't do anything to quiet her down. And then I feel like a failure. Maybe for you, it was the time you didn't step out against injustice or maybe you clicked on that website again and again. Maybe you ate too much, you drank too much, you bought too much, and the feeling of regret, it sinks in, and then quietly the question wrinkles to the top of our minds, what's wrong with me? Just accept yourself? Really? Beside the fact that we really do know better, the the saying that, that, that we can just ignore the problem isn't a good solution. If denying sin exists is supposed to make us feel better, The reality is, it just doesn't. We feel worse than we did to begin with. Because then we start asking the question, if it's not supposed to cause me pain, but it does cause me pain, how much much more messed up am I that I can't get over the fact that it shouldn't mess me up? And it's only when we look at the Bible, it's only when we come to God's Word that we finally start to make sense of what's going on in our hearts, what's going on in the world. And in the passage that we just read from Romans 5, the second passage, We hear God's word actually validate that we were never meant to live like this. I think one of the main reasons we're offended with sin is because we just don't understand it. I mean, think about it it like this. Arrogance that shuts down conversations. Greed that shuts out the vulnerable. Disrespect of parents that breaks apart families. Gossip that erodes community. Anger that destroys and lust that dehumanizes. That is the things of sin. And it's not supposed to be here. And like Jesse Pinkman, we don't want to just learn to live with it. Just accept it. No. If you're visiting, which quite a few of you are um, this morning... We're going through a series, um, and we're asking some really big questions about the core truths of Christianity. But we're not just asking the question, what on earth does this mean? But we're asking, what does it matter? What does it matter what we understand about who God is? What does it matter about what we understand about the Bible? And then this morning, we're asking the question, what does it matter what we think about the condition we find ourselves in? What does it matter what we think about us as people? 
Now, when the passage was read for us earlier, you may have found it difficult to follow Romans. I, I want you to hear this. Don't be intimidated. Romans is easy to get lost in. Um, but also know that just because it takes work doesn't mean we as Christians are going to avoid it. As Christians, we're thinking people. We long to engage the life of the mind. And so we're not going to leave it out on the door just because it's difficult. We're going to engage in it. We're going to dig into it. So let's again look at the Apostle Paul, what he has to say here in Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bibles with you, if you would turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, I don't even know where they are right now, but we have some community Bibles around here somewhere. Um, And if, if you want help, if you do happen to have one of those, it's on page number 612, 612. Um, but Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And this is what Paul writes to this church in Rome, and therefore us as Christians today, he's writing to us. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all Sinned. Okay, let's stop right here, okay, because that's already pretty dense. Um, what does God's word want us to know about ourselves already? I think there are three things, three things. There's been an infection, we're all contaminated, and our prognosis is fatal, okay? There's been an infection, we're all contaminated, and our prognosis is fatal. But just so we know that it's coming here in our passage, a cure is available, Okay? There's been an infection, we're all contaminated, our prognosis is fatal, and the cure is available. So first, there's been an infection. There's been an infection. When we talk about sin, we need to remember that it's an imposter. It doesn't belong here. And like sickness, it has spread and infected all of creation. The way the world is is not the way the world was meant to be. That's why Paul says sin came into the world. It entered After the world was made, it came in. It's an imposter. When God created the world, sin was nowhere to be found. Could you imagine that? No hurt, no pain, no tears but tears of joy, no stubbed toes, no divorce. But instead, when we look at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2, We read that after God had made everything, over everything that he had made, he says, wow, this is really good. And just so you know, this is unique from any other sort of creation story that's out there. Nowhere else do we see that God is out of the overflow of his love, creates a good world and says it is good. After everything he creates, he says it's beautiful, it's worthwhile, it's enjoyable, it's delightful, it's good. I mean, it was so full of peace and so perfectly integrated that we read the first human couple could walk around buck naked and totally be unashamed. I mean, that's a different world, isn't it? I mean, I don't know if anybody else in here feels okay with that. Um, That's a different world. Not because they were dismissing the evil in their midst. It's because evil hadn't broken into the world yet. But when God created humankind, he also gave us this really weighty gift. He gave us the opportunity to make decisions for ourselves. And the best relationships in the world are when an invitation is offered rather than forced. But whenever you do that, you open up the danger of being rejected either for right or for wrong reasons, which is exactly what we see Adam and Eve do in Genesis chapter 3. When they ignored God's one 
command. They rebelled against God, and that's really the the core definition of sin. It's telling the creator of the universe, you know what, I don't need you anymore. I've got my life under control. Thank you very much. So I want you to imagine this. Imagine you you find this cute little puppy at the pound right after it's born, you know, in, in the pound, and you bring it home. You take it on really healthy, long walks. You give it plenty of hugs and treats. You know, you give it a, an amazing diet. You see all these outlandish food commercials for pets. You give them like the richest food in the world. It's all the fancy feast for dogs, whatever that is. And then one morning you wake up to go get your paper and this dog snaps at you. It's growling, it's snarling, it's drooling just intensely. And it won't let you get near the door or near the dog. And it gets so bad you have to call animal control to come remove the dog. I mean, can you imagine the sense of betrayal, the heartbreak, and even the moral outrage with a dog? It's the classic old yeller kind of situation. And yet, we've turned on our maker in this exact same way. When he gave us everything, we tried to push him out of his world, and instead we pushed ourselves down because he wouldn't budge. Which is why theologian C.S. Lewis writes, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. And this infection of sin that came into the world, it started by hardening our hearts. Then it slowly started disintegrating our minds until our bodies followed with decay. But then when sin infected us, it actually saturated the whole world. With every cough and sneeze of creation, we see natural disasters, genetic disorders. We become old and wrinkly. And I'm getting older at the moment. You know, I'm starting to get the crow's feet or whatever because I'm not getting as much sleep with my daughter. Now, but with that, later on in Romans chapter 8, Paul even talks about creation that's groaning and it's aching because of the decision that Adam made. The whole world is messed up because of sin. There's been an infection, but we don't sit here this morning as martyrs. We didn't happen to catch a cold. No one chained you to a chair and force-fed you sin, but you picked up the spoon and you took a bite. Each and every one of us. So when we turn on the news or we get a text from a friend, or feel the internal angst of a broken world, we have to remember who's the source of the infection. We have to remember, we took the dirty needle, plunged it into our arms, and sin contaminated our veins. We like to say, you know, if God exists, how could he let cancer in the world? How could he let natural disasters happen? How could could divorce be in this world if God is really in control? And we shake our fist at God and we say, why? But we don't consider that the needle is still sticking out of our arms and our fingerprints are on the syringe. Forgetting that this isn't the way that God designed the world. This is what we did to it. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean there's a direct correlation to you stubbing your toe on Wednesday because you lied to your teacher on Tuesday. Um, But stubbed toes and oppressive learning environments if they really are oppressive, wouldn't exist if we hadn't chosen to push God away. That's how toxic sin is. God wants us to know that this is how damaged a world can get when he's not invited in. 
So if we're honest with ourselves, we need to stop pointing the finger at God and we need to remember who's the source of the infection and free yourself. Don't be held in bondage to what so many are saying. Free yourself to believe that this isn't the way we were supposed to live. This is our fault. It's not God's. Wait just a minute, Gabe. How's it fair that I'm dragged into this mess? I never okayed the decision for Adam to represent me. I didn't vote for him. I'm not even a voting age. What's going on? Well, whether we like it or not, we're all contaminated. Sin is universal with infection saturating every single human heart in here. Look again at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then jump down to verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So once again, this one man is pointing to Adam. His one sin, his choice of disobedience, it contaminated us all and it turned us into these infected sinners. But it's not just the fact that we're all contaminated, but that every aspect of who we are is contaminated. Verse 19, it tells us we're a kind of person. And this is important. We are sinners. It isn't the fact that we just act out in sin-sick ways. But at the very core of who we are, we are broken. We are sinners. Which impacts everything we think, say, and do. It's kind of like this. When you buy a computer, um, it has these default settings. Um, but before humanity was infected with, with sin and the world was, the default settings were love, were obedience, were shalom, this peace, and this harmony. But then a virus infected the computer. And it took control of the defaults all the way down to the operating system. Love and worship are replaced with the chaos of sin. And the virus over time, it fries all the memory of the original operating system such that you have a useless machine. I'm a Mac person, so I don't have to deal with viruses all that much anymore. Sorry, PC people. So that was really for you who have PCs. Um, I don't really know what that illustration means. It's just not part of my life. Um, but, you, you know, many times this, this type of destruction, this virus that saturates everything, it's similar, or it's, it's called human depravity, being totally depraved. It doesn't mean we do the worst possible thing every possible moment. I mean, we've all witnessed when beautiful actions of love are carried, around, are carried out by people around us by all walks of life. But being totally depraved means that every part of our world and every person, the operating system of our very world, is damaged by the infection of sin in some way. Now you may be thinking, okay, but I still don't see how that's fair. Adam blew it, but we all have to suffer. Answer the question, Gabe. Um, what gives? Well, so return to verse 12. We're, banking, or, you know, we're, we're hanging out here in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So it came in through one man, but in the very same breath, he says... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So in other words, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. I know this is, this is rich. This is like dark chocolate that's kind of hurting your teeth and upsetting your stomach. This is rich here. This is dense. Of course, we're going to struggle with this because in our individualistic culture, our mantra is every man is an island or every woman is an island unto themselves. 
which just isn't true. It just isn't true. Whether they're Christians or not, there have been many great thinkers who have challenged this individualistic perspective on how to see the world. And what we talked about last week is we talked about how the Bible comes into every culture and it challenges assumptions in each culture. It is actually above culture, no matter where it's found, whether it's in Asia, Russia, Europe, or the United States, or Latin America. It challenges culture. And what the Bible is challenging us here is giving us a stronger sense of collective responsibility when it comes to sin's infection. And you, you see, our decisions never really impact only ourselves. And the greater the place of authority that someone holds, the greater the impact. For example... When I mess up on my finances because I wanted a couple more coffees and another really nice shirt, it impacts my family. But if the mayor of Kansas City, Mayor Sly James, was frivolous with money, it impacts thousands of families. So when we look at Adam in Genesis 2 and 3, we see, yes, an historical person whose even name, his name, Adam, it means mankind. And so he becomes the representative for the human race as the first person. His decisions would impact all of his descendants. That's every single one of us in here thereafter. So think of it like this. We've got a lot of illustrations and a very thick passage here. In World War II, when a baby was born in England, they were born at war with Germany. You know, they pretty much came out of the womb waving the, the British flag, cheering on their own troops. They were born into a war. Same way, imagine our world with two kingdoms at war with each other. It wasn't always this way, but a while back, there was a terrible, terrible rebellion against God's kingdom, started by Adam, and the war continues. That means that when you're born into Adam's kingdom of death, Paul calls it, which we all are, then sin reigns through death, and you are automatically born an enemy of God's kingdom of life, learning how to fight against God, who is your enemy Every day you take breath. This is, why, how, this is where you're born into, is an opposing kingdom of God. We're born into a kingdom at war with our creator. And this is how Paul can say sin came in through one man. Those are fighting words. And look, you may not think it's fair. I get it. Um, but then I want to ask you a question. What if you were in Adam's place? What if you were the representative do you think you would have done any better? Adam took a piece of fruit when he was commanded not to. What have you taken? If you were to be that representative, we wouldn't have done any better. So at the end of the day, whether we believe the Bible or in Jesus or God or not, we all know something is wrong with the world and it's so messed up that it's even messed us up. Nietzsche is a famous atheistic philosopher, would say that the problem in the world is that we think that there's a problem in the world. So once again, it's the idea, just accept it and move on. Freud, this great psychoanalyst, right? He'll, he'll say, the problem is the, in the world is your family upbringing. It's your mommy and daddy. It's my mommy and daddy who messed me up. That's the real problem in the world. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know it's more complex than that. We know we were never meant to live like this, so don't ignore the symptoms. Don't ignore the symptoms. This past week, I was over at a friend's house, um, and we were catching up on life, and suddenly we heard this blood-curdling scream from the backyard. It was his son, and if, 
for those of you who are parents in here, that was like, that's the worst sound in the world is to hear your child screaming bloody murder. When they brought in the little guy, you know, he was crying that his wrist hurt. So we got him an ice pack and we set him on the couch with us as we were talking and it didn't really look that bad. <laughs> so we just said, hey, hang in there, buddy. Let's just see how tonight goes. So on Monday, they go in and bring him in for x-rays. And the poor guy, not only was one wrist broken, but both of them were. <laughs> I, I know. I'm not laughing. I'm not, I'm not a cruel person. It's just, it really, you, you feel terrible for the little guy. Uh, I mean, it looked so fine. It wasn't swelling or anything. You're just like, oh, come on. It just probably hurt himself. You know, it's like, come on, buddy, toughen up. Um, but the poor guy, he was more broken than any of us really imagined. Now imagine if we did just tell this guy, just accept it once we get these x-rays back, you know. There's nothing wrong. Everybody's bones kind of work a little differently, um, you know. Your bones just want to go that way, apparently, when you fall off a swing. Um, I mean, that would, that would be more than cruel. That would be abusive. Um, children's services would come and take this child away. No, you cannot do this. Why? Because we know there's a right way. We know there's a flourishing way, a healthy way of living. And God, like a really amazing parent, doesn't want you to stay in pain. When he hears his children screaming, he runs out the door to find you. So do you see the symptoms of brokenness and sin's infection in your own life? Don't ignore them. You're more broken than you think, and so am I. The pain of sin we feel deep within is really an echo of the diagnosis we find in God's word. No help, no self-help book, no amount of extreme education or that's not going to fix it. But each and every one of us is infected and it saturates everything we do and consumes the very core of who we are. And check this, it gets worse. Yes. Don't you, aren't you so glad you came here this morning? It gets worse. Not only has there been an infection and we're all contaminated, but our prognosis is fatal. The difference between a diagnosis and a prognosis. A diagnosis tells you what you got. A prognosis tells you what's going to happen to you because of what you've got. And our prognosis because of sin is death. Sin kills relationships through gossip, anger, malice, and abuse. Sin kills joy through greed, envy, and lust. Sin kills communities through domineering power, neglect of the vulnerable, murder, and laziness. But sin, like all potent diseases, will kill you too, starting from the inside out. Look again at Romans 5, 12, and now we're going to read through verse 14 again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam all the way to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression, the breaking of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Paul wants us to know that sin isn't just breaking a list of do's and don'ts. Sin isn't just breaking the law or a law, whatever law we put up in our life. Such that if we just live according to the rules, then finally we'll have the life we've always wanted. But Paul says the infection of sin is much deeper than mere behavior. If we just stop at behavior, we're just tackling symptoms. The law here 
that Paul's talking about refers to the commands God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. You know that thou shalt not have any other gods before me, and so on. And the core of those commands are found in Exodus 20, where God describes the ideal community and what it looks like when it is living under his reign, a community that honors God in his rightful place, a community that honors marriage in its rightful place, a community where children honor parents, and human dignity and human fulfillment are encouraged. Work and rest are held in good tension. And if the commands were broken, then it was a symptom. It was a symptom that sin was reigning over the community rather than God. You see, sin was already killing people before Moses received the law. So why do we have the law? Why do we have this Old Testament law? It actually reveals how sick we are. How sick we are. Imagine you go into the doctor because you can't stop coughing. Um, and you go in because you've got, you can't take any more days off from work or you can't miss any more days from school. And so you go in thinking you're going to get some antibiotics to kind of speed up the healing process. But as you go in, the doctor does some diagnostics and he finds that you have actually a spot of skin cancer on your shoulder and a spot in your lung. That cough that you thought was so, you know, just a, an ordinary cold turns out to be a death sentence. It's going to kill you. Which is exactly what God told Adam in Genesis 2, verse 17, all the way back in the beginning. Look, if you eat of this particular tree, it's going to kill you. Don't do it. But instead, Adam believed the lie that surely it can't be that bad, right? God, you really don't know how bad this is. It can't be that bad. And so he ate. Ever since, we've been trying to merely deal with symptoms rather than treat the disease. We think if we can stop coughing and sneezing, then we've just cut out the sickness altogether. It's much deeper than that. We're really good at focusing on sins rather than sin. We're really good at nitpicking behavior rather than digging into the heart, which takes a lot of hard work, quite frankly. If sin is an infection and not merely an action, then we need to treat the disease, not the symptoms. For example, your biggest problem isn't that you gossip. It's that you're so insecure that you try to destroy people around you to feel good about yourself. The problem isn't what you say, it's why you're saying it. Remember the text says you're a sinner, not someone who just commits serial sins. You are a sinner. Your heart is dying It's that you've rebelled against God and you're desperate for someone, anyone to just tell you you're okay, even if you have to turn your back on your friends. You see, the tricky thing about sin is that outward symptoms don't always give the full picture. Imagine you go into another hospital. We love hospitals this morning. Um, And the first room you walk into, there's a person who's coughing and they're hacking and they've got an IV in their arm. And then all the little alarms on the monitors are going off and you think to yourself, oh, they surely don't have long to live and your heart breaks and you walk. Then you look in the next room and someone's reading a John Grisham novel, you know, or they're reading Our Fault in Our Stars or something along those lines. It's a younger person. Maybe it's me, I don't know. Um, And they're sitting there and they're smiling and they catch you with the side of their eye and they turn and they smile and they wave and you think, oh, they must be in here. Maybe their tonsils were whacked, you know. Um, So they got their tonsils out and they're in recovery. And you think, oh, this is so great. They're going to be fine. But then as you walk on, you you overhear one of the nurses say that they've got an incurable disease and they'll be dead within the week. 
Symptoms don't always give us the best descriptor of what's going on in our hearts. Someone's life may look really great on the outside, but they're dying inside. Some of us may look really fine. We may look okay, like we've got our act together. All your big sins on the do not do list are in check, but your heart's far from God and slowly you're dying. If all you do is focus on behavior and rules, then you'll die because it doesn't get rid of the infection. You may be really good at keeping the rules so that you die a really slow, self-righteous death. And if you mess up and you're not able to keep the rules, then you die a bitter, quicker death. I mean, we were never meant to live like this. So here's the million-dollar question. What can we do, right? What can we do? And really, this is the main, Paul, main point that Paul's trying to make in Romans 5. He wants us to know, yeah, there's been an infection. Yeah, we're all contaminated. Yeah, your prognosis is death. But a cure is available. A cure is available. And what we see here in verse 17 is that in Christ, anyone can be cured and made whole. Look at verse 17. For if by cause of one man's trespass, so Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I know you may still think it's not fair that we have to pay for Adam's decisions, but it's the same sort of divine logic by which we're now credited Jesus Christ's perfection. So if you don't like the first, you don't get the second. We're infected in Adam, but in Christ we're made whole, we're cured. And we're going to talk more in detail about that in the next couple of weeks. But just for us this morning, hear that Jesus is the second and the better Adam. Under his rule, no longer is there judgment, but there's grace. Under his rule, obedience flourishes rather than disobedience. Under his rule, life is given rather than death. Which is why we in the FCA proclaim... We believe that God created Adam and Eve in his image, but they sinned when tempted by Satan. In union with Adam, human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under his wrath. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. Such that the only thing that's left for us, the only possible decision we have is to receive the free cure. Now we can see why it's important, why Paul spent so much energy diagnosing the problem. Because if you don't have the problem right, you'll never have any hopes of getting the solution right. I was a butler in Chicago for a little while um, while I was going to seminary. And this older British gentleman, he was in his 80s. He'd always walk around like this. He was like seven foot, huge British guy. And uh, he would always walk around. I hear him walking around in the middle of the night. Mr. Perutz, you know, what are you doing? He'd come and he'd crawl over to his table and say, Gabriel, the biggest thing of being a leader is figuring out the problem. Figuring out the problem. He was a multimillionaire. He started his own business. And always he said, if I could just figure out what the real problem was, the solution would come like that. The hardest part is figuring out what the problem is. Jesus himself, he would hang out with people whose symptoms were really severe. Their lives were really messed up. And he was mocked by people who didn't get the problem. 
And this is what Jesus had to say in Luke 5. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you want to know the cure, you have to admit that you're the source of the infection. If you ever want to meet the great physician, you can't ignore the symptoms that are in your life. And if you want to be made whole, you you have to let him do the difficult work of treating the disease, not just numbing the symptoms. We're infected far worse than we ever thought possible. But it's in this moment that we finally understand, in the midst of this dark problem, that we can understand that God loves us more than we could have ever dared to dream or imagine. This is where the cross starts to make sense. This is why we sing nothing but the blood. Jesus has paid it all because we know how dark the problem is. Without the problem, Jesus was just a really nice guy that got messed up in a fist fight and ended up on a cross. Earlier in Romans 5, Paul says a really famous passage that's famous among Christians. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were never meant to live like this. Death wasn't meant to have the final word. And because of Jesus, it won't. If you receive him, the true and free cure to our infected hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thankful for the person and work of Jesus Christ that offers life and forgiveness and healing and wholeness through the good news proclaimed of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. God, you are so astounding in your love for us that while we were sinners, not that we were just doing wrong things, but that we were broken to our core and you died for us so that we could be whole in our core and now start to live out this cured life to proclaim the great physician, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May your spirit do his work of convicting our hearts. God, we are yours. Help us to see you for who you are and us for who we are, because it does matter. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we were going to do communion, (laughs) Um, but we're going to do something slightly different. This is an audible. Um, You'll find there are some sheets. There are clearly not enough under your chairs, but there are some sheets under your chair. And we're going to just take a time, a short time, of prayer and reflection and response where you're seated or standing. You'll notice on this sheet that's being passed around, it's actually a doctor's script. And you'll see in there already the diagnosis, the prognosis, the prescription, and the instructions. They're already all filled in as we deal with this great infection in our life and we look to Jesus, the cure. I want you to reflect on two questions. Ryan's going to sing over us a song. And while he's singing, I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And I want to ask two questions. One, have I received Jesus' free cure? Is that true of me? Am I still trying to ignore that I'm infected? And then secondly, if so, am I living as a cured person? 
Am I living as a cured person? If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now's the time. Only he can heal your sick, saturated heart. Repent, turn away from your sins, ask God for forgiveness, and give your life to Jesus so that he can take your death. He can give you a different prognosis. And this is what it means to make him your Lord and Savior. If you're already proclaimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, take this as a time to be asking yourself honestly, am I living as though death is my destiny or as life is my destiny? Am I living as though sin still reigns over me or am I in Christ's kingdom and living according to his reign? So let's take a moment to pray and reflect over those questions while Ryan sings over us.